Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the Authors on Fire podcast. I am Pat Rulo here today with Cheryl Gillespie, and today we are going to talk about her Firebird Book Award winning book titled, I Feel Your Stare, an Autobiography. In her home province of New Brunswick, Canada, Cheryl, along with her cat, Maddie, will often be found basking on the backyard deck beneath the warm sunshine the very spot where many of the chapters for I Feel Your Stare were written. A childhood diagnosis of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and associated blindness, coupled with physical and societal barriers, has proven only to strengthen her resolve. Following graduation from Fredericton High School, Cheryl advanced in her private studies through the Royal Conservatory of Music, attaining first-class honors in piano, theory, and history, There's lots to know here, and we are going to find out some of it, so let's bring her on. Welcome to the network, Cheryl. Hi, Pat. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, thank you. I was looking forward to it. You know, you you meet people online, and you have these email conversations, and you think you have a feel for the person, and then it's just kind of like the cherry on top when you have the opportunity to actually speak with them. So we'll have fun today. (laughs) Well, congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award. I was happy to share that with you. Yeah, I was excited and shocked because it was my first uh, win for a book award. So that was very exciting. Well, I'm glad it was with us. That always makes me feel good. You know, people pour their heart and soul into their work. And I don't know, it just needs to be recognized. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I work really hard on it, and um, I'm not an open book as such. Uh, maybe that's not the right word to use. <laughs> um, you know, when when you're writing, um, you can put more thought into the words that you really want to say. Um, it was it was a hard journey, like for me, um, but rewarding. Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah. Um, because it's difficult to go back and relive some of these things. Um, and then there's always that question that you kind of alluded to is, how much do you put out there, you know, and, and how much is enough? Or when do you hold back? How do you even know? Yeah, and I am i wasn't going to write, you know, all the personal details of my life. I, I wrote what I felt. Um, I could share. But enough to give the flavor so the reader can feel. I was very surprised by people's reactions. Um, You know, people emailing me or um, what they've put out on social media. Um, I was surprised with what they felt. Like, I guess when I was writing, I wondered, are they going to feel the way that I feel? Like, are they going to be angry, uh, and some of them said they were angry, some of them were sad, some of them laughed, but, and, you know, because life is that way, it's all a lot of different emotions, um, so I was kind of surprised and glad that they they felt the same way, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I must have wrote it <laughs> well enough so that they could feel those the same way that I did. Absolutely, yes. Be- before we get into actually what the book is about, why did you decide to write it? Well, I, writing the, my autobiography was not at all on my radar. Um, it was a friend who, um, approached me, um, a few times actually, and he said, you, you know, you should write your autobiography, and I'm like, no, 
<laughs> no one's going to want to read that. <laughs> um, but then um, I decided to, well, let's let's give this a try. And I put some words down and some thoughts, and I and I thought, well, maybe this could work. Um, so then once I got going, um, I guess I felt that it would be a story that other people might relate to. Mm-hmm. So with that, then give us a peek into the book, what folks can expect to find when they, when they pick up your book, I Feel Your Stare. Well, you kind of alluded to it in the bio. So, um, it starts with my, my diagnosis of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I was two. Um, a lot of people don't think of arthritis in children, um, but that can actually happen. So, um, and then the inflammation from the um, arthritis spread to my eyes, which I believe is called uveitis. And um, I started to lose my sight when I was four, and it was gone by the time I was eight. Um, and then when, uh, for readers, they'll find out that um, in order to get an education, I um, went to the Halifax School for the Blind. So I had to go to school um, out of province, away from my family, um, which is difficult when you're when you're a child to be away. Um, and then I was there for six years. Um, lonely <laughs> the whole time. I mean, I came home for Christmas and summer vacation. Um, but, um, and then after six years, you know, I kind of hit my teens and a little bit rebellious and called my mother and I said, I want to come home and go to school in Fredericton. And um, if I can't, I'll just quit, you know, the teenage attitude. So fortunately, my mother was working at the, the junior high at the time, um, and so she had a connection with the principal and the teachers, and she was able to negotiate on, on the home front. But what she said to me on the phone, um, you should talk to the uh, superintendent uh, at the school uh, for the blind, and to see what he says. And so I did that. And being someone who was very shy, awkward, um, I had to build up my courage. And I did go to him. And um, he was warm and welcoming in the beginning. So I thought, oh, why, you know, why was I so nervous about this? And then when I um, talked to him about what I wanted to do, he said, absolutely not. And then he said, um, you'll never make it. Oh. Yeah. Um, and he said, and if you insist on going through with this, we will not support you. We will not provide you with Braille books. Um, and he didn't. They didn't. At least for that first year. But the first year going to school here, um, in, in Fredericton was difficult just because, you know, I didn't have those support. And in fact, by the end of the school year, I was about ready to give up and just go back 
to the School for the Blind. And um, I had been communicating back then. <laughs> back then, I was communicating with a friend at the school um, via cassette tape, you know, letters on tape kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We would just talk and send cassette tapes back and forth. Um, and I um, confided that I would probably be returning to the school. Well, then, it was getting to the end of that first school year um, back in, in Fredericton, and I received a cassette tape from her, and she said, oh, I told the superintendent, you know, that you were thinking of coming back, and his words were, well, yes, well, Cheryl needs someone to hold her hand, so I'm not surprised. Well, that just changed my mind. You know, tell someone they can't do it. Yep. And then, you know, that's going to just make them want to do it even more, especially when you're a kid. (laughs) So I told my mom, I said, no, I'm going to keep going to school here. So I finished high school um, in Fredericton, and the books did start trickling in, the Braille materials and such. I mean, but I never had you know, total support um, all the way through. But I, I did have some of the books that I needed as the years went by. Um, and then when someone continues reading in the book, they'll um, find that I, I took uh, piano lessons. Um, and then eventually I became a piano teacher. Um and then when you were reading about um, societal barriers, um, that's kind of about, you know, growing up and your independence and, well, trying to get independence in, in society. Um, like, just even looking for an apartment is difficult when, when you're blind, or at least for me it was. <laughs> um, you know, I got some crazy um, excuses not to rent to me, you know, like, well, dear, uh, you'll, you know, we can't rent to you because um, the toilet might flood and you wouldn't know it for days. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, I just said, well, I do understand the concept of wet, <laughs> um, but you know, like, there's just crazy things like this that you come up against. Yes. Um, in, in society and when you're when you're trying to make your way um, and uh, so that's kind of the gist of what my book is about um, I try to be positive as well like as I said before um, life isn't all laughs it's not all depressing it's kind of a mix of everything so there has to be something positive as well in life. So I, I try to be positive when I'm when I'm writing. So sad that uh, you were treated that way. And I don't know if things would be different today. Seems like they might. And it's good that you found piano in your life. <laughs> um, you and I kind of bonded over that because we both studied music yeah. for years and theory and history. We both taught yeah. teach piano. I started taking piano lessons when I was five and studied music in college as well. And 
have a degree in music education. So uh, I know how important that is. Let's talk about the music side of it, because I'm sure that made such an impact on your life. When I was studying music, that wasn't really what I thought I was going to be doing uh, for my life. But I'm, I'm glad it did. Like music, teaching music is so rewarding mm-hmm. to me. Um, you know, um, generally I, I teach children. I do have a couple of adults now, but, um, but you know, it's, it's so rewarding to have um, kids have that aha moment. <laughs> Like, oh, I can do this. Oh, this sounds great. You know, it's, I just love to teach and I love to, um, and also I find in teaching, I, I learn every year I'm learning something new. Kids teach me as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a very, um, exciting career for me. Oh, I agree. Yes. Especially teaching little ones because they're, they're scared and nervous. You know, the first time they come and sit at the bench with you, they have no idea what to expect. And, you know, within a couple lessons, they could actually play something. Just that feeling of, of accomplishment and autonomy. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you could feel it in them. And to know that you've given a little child that gift that will transfer throughout their entire life, not just with music, but with anything. They can always relate back to that moment when they first came to you and sat on the bench, scared to heaven. And uh, yeah, you know, and we're, we're able to accomplish, even if they don't go on to be great pianists, that doesn't really matter. It's just all the learning around it as well. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have students that are, uh, most of them, I would say, are, are in, are playing music for their enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important I mean, but some of them are a little more dedicated. Um, they, you know, go into taking exams or um, participate in festivals, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't push it because I, I know that not everyone is kind of geared that way or uh, go in that direction. So very, very true. You're just putting it out there and let them take what they want and. I, I remember doing piano recitals and, and for them to spend a couple months working on one piece and then having to perform it in front of family and friends. That's just a whole other component uh, that can be carried with them throughout their lives, too. So Yes, it's rather nerve-wracking for them. Um, <laughs> I found one way to um, get some of the... Uh, shy kids maybe to um, perform is to um, have them play duets either with another student or with me. Um, so that kind of eases their mind a bit. And it's, it's fun. Like collaborating <laughs> is fun with it, music. So It is. It is. One year, I the students wrote their own music and I worked with them to help them write their own music. And then they performed their piece that they wrote. And that was quite a learning experience. Yes. That's something I would like to have more experience with. It's fun for you as a teacher too to see what these what these children come up with, and some of them even wrote lyrics. I mean, we went kind of all out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I did experiment with that one time, and I had all of my students write or compose mm-hmm. a piece. Uh, some of them came in, and the the piece was random, very random. <laughs> And I said, oh, well, 
you know, that was interesting. Why don't you play that again for me? And then it was totally different the second time. So I know they really didn't kind of compose as such, you know. Anyway, but kids will try to they'll try. <laughs> try to put that over on you if they can. That's so funny. So that's when you switch it from composition to improvisation, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's improv night, folks. Oh yeah. For sure. Oh, that's so funny. All righty. Let's get back to your book. I'm wondering, so as you had to look back and, and write this book, did any of it reveal anything to you as you were writing it that you hadn't considered before? I know it. As I was writing, there were things that came back to me, things that I'd long forgotten and thought I had buried. <laughs> Things that I didn't want to remember. Yeah. Um, Almost it, therapeutic or cathartic, uh, maybe, you know, to kind of go back it, and get that yeah, over with. it was. It was, okay, well, I can go with you on that. Um, <laughs> it was therapeutic for me mm-hmm. um, to write and to get all of that out and to have a better understanding of where I have come from. And there was times when I was writing and... My heart was just racing. There was times when, when, um, well, I was in tears. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, and there were times too, um, so there's a chapter in, in there dedicated to my husband. He passed away in 2019. And there was times when I was writing that, um, I was, hyperventilating Mm -hmm. like I just couldn't breathe um just the experience of going through his illness and uh, being a primary caregiver for him Mm -hmm. and when you're a primary caregiver for a spouse or anyone that's close to you that's difficult for anyone but for me having arthritis um it was even more so ex- exhausting and um just it was it was just so difficult for me um but i guess you know anyone would have that that same um experience sure, sure. yes it's it's not easy being a caretaker for a loved one i took care of my mom for almost 9 years and at the end of that um, she passed away in 2016. You almost don't even know who you are as a person without that person, without those responsibilities of caring for them. It's a very strange place to be. Yes, very difficult. Um, I had started writing um, my autobiography before um, before Michael was sick, but when <laughs> when I became a caregiver, I had to, to stop writing. I think I I stopped for like 14, 15 months, Mm -hmm. I just couldn't go back to it. It's so exhausting. Um, But, you know, eventually I did go back to it. A lot, a lot. How about the title, I Feel Your Stare? How did you come up with that title? Well, I'm a list maker. (laughs) I, um, I make lists for everything, whether it's goals or you know, a shopping list, anything. Um, I made a list. I think I had about 20 
potential titles. And I kind of just let them sit there for a bit to, to let me think about it. Um, but then I, I also Googled these titles to see if they're out there already. And I know that um, titles are not ki- copyrighted, but I kind of wanted mine to be unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I Feel Your Stare wasn't out there. Um, and as I was writing, I, probably in the second half of the book, I felt like that was the best title for my book. Um, I guess it's a little bit of a play on words in a way because, um, you know, a blind person um, saying, I feel your stare, but I think anyone, even if you're sighted, we all have that feeling that someone is looking over our shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and it, it's, I've always had this feeling that society is kind of watching to see how you do. <laughs> if you're going to, uh, well, if you're going to make it, as the superintendent said, I would not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I don't know, I guess I, I just felt like that was the best title. Um, also, when I was writing at, towards the end of the book, I included um, a line that my sister um, had written a long time ago. <laughs> um, and she was... Um, well, we were lobbying the government for um, uh, coverage of prosthetic eyes um, because I have prosthetic eyes. So, um, and if you don't have insurance, um, it can be pretty expensive. Um, but in in the letter writing campaign, my sister wrote, um, "Oh, well, one of the objections to the government is that prosthetic eyes are are merely." Um, cosmetic. Mm-hmm. That is not the case at all. Um, they are actually, um, you need, you need them to, um, for your health. Um, and if they're not looked after, an infection, um, should set into your eye socket. Infection can then spread to your brain and then kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there's a lot behind that, which I won't kind of get into, but. Um, in the letter writing campaign, my sister um, was trying to make the point that um, prosthetic eyes are not merely cosmetic. Um, and she said it does give a person um, a sense of normalcy as well. Um, and it's, it, you know, that mental, uh, mental health um, normalcy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she said, um, uh, and she said, um, when people, when she's out with me in public, if we, if we go shopping, she said, people go out of their way to stare. <laughs> um, and so that was just kind of a line in the, uh, towards the end of the book, mm-hmm. and which even made it um, kind of solidified my my title of I Feel Your Stare. I'm wondering, did you ever send a copy of this award-winning book to the superintendent? Well, oddly, um, well, 
<laughs> he just passed away <laughs> um, a month ago. And um, I I actually thought he was already gone, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I didn't name him in the book. Um, yeah. There were some names that I didn't... I didn't put the real names, but all of the the um the information is all true, but it's just I use different names mm-hmm. because they have families and sure you know, and you don't want to draw them into it so um but uh, as far as have had he read this i I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't know if he'd read it or not. But. It's so fascinating to understand the gravity of the responsibility that an adult has in any situation with a child in that anything you say could have a lifelong impact. And, you know, if there's anything we could just learn from today's conversation is that if you've got any role with children is to be mindful of what you say and and not to put somebody down and draw that limit for somebody else to say, you'll never make it. To me, that is just stunning. And, you know, and it all, it doesn't always turn around so that you become a better person because, because of it. Many people yeah. like, wouldn't be like yourself to take that and, and do something with it. They could go down with it. So let that be a lesson here. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you asked a question earlier, um, and I can't remember exactly how it went, but, you know, if I had learned anything about myself yeah. in, in the writing process, yeah. I did discover that I have a little bit of, you know, a moderate degree of PTSD mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to certain things. And this kind of goes back to what you were just saying a moment ago, too, um, what, um, uh, what, how adults, uh, their responsibility, um, with children and how they, uh, what they say or what they do. Um, and there was some things that came back to me that I had long ago buried. And um, when when these things did come back to me, I realized, you know, why I had reacted this way or that way as an adult. Um, so can I give you another example? Yes. Of Please. An adult and mm-hmm. how they, so this was a doctor <laughs> when I was a child and I was in Halifax. Um, so I didn't have the protection of my parents there, but, um, I went, I, I was having, um, a major flare up with arthritis, um, and the, pediatrician, uh, well, I think he was called a pediatric rheumatologist, actually. He decided that I needed cortisone injections. Well, that's scary enough as it is, but I had um, cortisone injections in both knees and one wrist. I was scared, and I was in pain, and I was crying. And his response to this was, um, that a girl cry louder. And I never forgot that. Oh. Wow. 
Um, you know, like you forget physical pain or, you know, physical pain will, um, will disappear, but that kind of emotional pain, um, that doesn't go away. You know, and I still remember that all these years. I, I had not forgotten it. And so there was, there was a couple of incidents like that, mm-hmm. that I realized this has, um, it, it has kind of emotionally scarred me and, um, yeah. and it's not surprising now the, re- the reactions that I've had, um, in my adult life when I, have to go for treatment or mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. I'm very cautious. Well, that makes perfect sense. Um, and yeah. yeah, and maybe just the writing of this book put that pers- gave you that perspective. So at least you have some understanding of it. So you're not confused as to why do I feel this way? It still could make you angry and upset and scared. But at least there's that a little kernel of understanding. It's like, I know why this is happening. And I also think just a conversation like we are having today can help so many people who have either experienced this kind of harm and hurt, or uh, as we just said earlier, adults might just think twice uh, before they speak to little ones that they care for. I just think there's so many lessons that are swirling around you, your book, this conversation. So I thank yeah. you for being brave enough to put this out there because it's not easy, but just think of who you're helping and you'll never know who you're helping Cheryl. No, no. Um, yeah. But if I, if I do, then, you know, that's, that's a, a, one of those positive things that come out of it. Absolutely. And that's, you mentioned positivity before you've got to look for the positives. And I think that's, uh, yeah. this is one of them. And, just the whole anonymity factor is in that you'll never know when you write a book, you have no idea because most people don't reach out to you to comment. You have no idea of who you are helping. So, um, again, I thank you. And I want to make sure as we begin to wrap up that we're not missing anything that you wanted to highlight today. I guess if, um, if, um, people pick up my book, um, and they read it and they enjoy it and it affects them one way or another, um, then I, I hope they will reach out. Um, and maybe, you know, they can reach out to me, they can recommend it to their friends, um, that sort of thing. And where can they do that? How can folks contact you and get copies of your book? Okay, well, <laughs> I'm on Facebook, so that's one way they can reach me um i have a page called the braille narrative um so they can find me there um message me um and where can they find my book um it's online everywhere um amazon um their ebooks with um apple kobo etc but they can also order it through their local bookstore All right. So the title of the book is I Feel Your Stare, an autobiography by author Cheryl Gillespie. What's next? Are you writing any more books? Any in the works or in your mind? Um, I 
I'm not exactly sure. Um, there is a friend that has asked me to ghostwrite for her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that might be the horizon. <laughs> I do have, you know, some poetry and such and that I've written in the past. Um, I may go back to that and look at that, but I am I can't pinpoint it right now. <laughs> and that's okay. It'll it'll show up and make itself apparent when you are ready. Um, yes. Yeah. And we'll just um, wait for that. You are such a blessing and a gift. You, you just truly are. I am so, I feel so happy that you and I met and bonded over music and I think some general attitudes about life. So thank you for sharing with us today. Um, you're a beautiful human. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pat.